This is part two of our look at Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. In the story, Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, then the ghost of Christmas present, and finally, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. That's the scary ghost. And those visitations changed Scrooge. What else or who else got changed in that story? Loved ones, what's going on? I'm Bruce, and this is A Bigger Story. Do you ever wish you could go to sleep at night, have three dreams, and then wake up a totally different, transformed person? If only, right? I have a good idea what parts of me I'd like to see transformed. I'm not going to tell you, at least not right now. I'll just invite you to contemplate what parts of you you'd like to see transformed. And as I think about it, transformation probably isn't transformation. If it's transformation of parts of us, if it's transformation, it's going to be the whole enchilada. So back to the story of A Christmas Carol. Scrooge is totally, utterly transformed. He's almost unrecognizable to his neighbors when he ventures out the following morning. He's dancing and singing and smiling and carrying on. Bob Cratchit is concerned that Scrooge has lost his mind. I mentioned in the last episode that rereading A Christmas Carol is something I do leading up to every Christmas. And every year, something new seems to jump out at me, different than the year before. This year, It's what Scrooge says to the ghost of Christmas yet to come just before he wakens from his night of dreams. I've never really spent much time thinking about these words of Scrooge's, and this year they just hit me right between the eyes. Here they are. And again, these are the words he speaks to the ghost of Christmas yet to come just before he wakes up. He says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons they teach. And then when he's awake, he repeats those words, and he's giddy, delirious with joy. He's been given a second chance. He buys the biggest goose to send to the Cratchit family. He buys toys for Tiny Tim and the rest of the Cratchit children. He gives Bob Cratchit a raise, extra coal for the fire. He reconciles with his nephew and his extended family. Pretty cool, right? And that's what transformation of a hard heart should look like. Transformation of a miserly, selfish heart. Transformation from a scarcity mentality to an abundance mentality. I love his proclamation that he will honor Christmas in his heart and that he will live in the past, the present, and the future. All at the same time, the spirits of all three, he says, shall strive within me. I think he's saying at least two things. One, that past story of the Christ child in the manger, born in humble circumstances, and all the meaning in that past story will now guide his living, his story in the present, and guide his planning and how he lives out his story for the future. And two, that his appraisal of his own past and his desire to make amends will guide his present and future actions. I think this is why this story is so timeless and has been retold so many times. And also, I'd like to offer one more expansion of meaning for the story that we didn't do in the last episode. In the story, we've got the last-minute reprieve, and those dreams, boy, they're intense. The ghost of Christmas past is actually gentle. The ghost of Christmas present is jolly. But the ghost of Christmas yet to come That ghost is scary, faceless, 
skeletal, foreboding, pointing unrelentingly to the dark, bottomless pit of a grave that is meant for Scrooge. So what we've got in this story is this personal transformation and the resulting desire and commitment by Scrooge to live a transformed, generous, joyful life going forward. I think that's how a lot of us Christians think of our religious faith, that something about it guides us, we hope, to enough right choices to avoid going to hell, a personal salvation project, and that it's never too late. If it's not too late for the likes of Scrooge, it's not too late for the likes of us. And maybe those two things alone are enough to change us, change us enough to at least be more generous, more loving, more concerned with our neighbors and our loved ones, which is all really, really good. I just want us to not stop there because I don't think that the story stops there. So much of the Bible is about the deliverance, not only of individuals, but of whole communities, whole tribes of people, whole nations. And so much of the Bible is concerned with justice for the poor, provision for the poor, living as people of abundance and generosity instead of as people of scarcity and miserliness, precisely so that all, even and especially the poor, have what they need to live in dignity and wholeness and hope and even joy. The poor, the ones who live unnoticed, rejected, invisible on the margins of society, are as prominent in A Christmas Carol as Scrooge, Marley, Cratchit, Tiny Tim, the rest of the Cratchit family. The newly transformed Scrooge now passed the visitations from the three spirits and awake on Christmas morning. He runs into the two men who had been raising money for the poor, the ones he had sent packing when the story began, and he whispers into their ears that he wants to make a contribution that will relieve the suffering of the very poor he had earlier recommended be sent to the poorhouse, to debtor's prison. It stuns them. What I'm leading to is this. The idea of a personal second chance is a big part of Christian religious belief. The grace of God sparing us from some kind of hell is central to the religious faith of many. And yes to all of that. But that personal salvation project is only part of it. And if the Bible is in any way our guide, the personal salvation project, pie in the sky and the great by and by when I die, That's really a very small part of the story. The much larger part is that the story of this Christ child born in poor, humble circumstances and the person that this baby grows up to become is a story that invites us to participate in all, in everything that animated Jesus Christ's life, that what we are personally saved from is only a part of what we are saved for. Saved for a life of fidelity with the way of Christ. Fidelity, alignment with the way of Christ. Loving what Christ loved. Loving as Christ loved. That's the invitation. It's the invitation in A Christmas Carol because the story is bigger so much bigger than personal, individual transformation. It includes that, but the story, at its deepest meaning, at its largest, most expanded meaning, is a story of love 
and care and justice and dignity for all, and especially for those who are not living with love and care and justice and dignity, especially for the poor. And you and I are invited to know that, to notice that, and to live our lives dedicated to being agents of transformation precisely for those whom God loves so much. Stay in touch, Bruce at BruceCole.tv. Remember, you are loved. you